you guys, we made it through 2020. Yeah? Hallelujah. Woo! We did it. We did it. And that's pretty exciting to me because 2020 was a little challenging for a lot of us, wasn't it? But I think 2020 also had a lot of blessing kind of snuck in there. At least it did for my family. I keep hearing people say, new year, new me. Have you heard this one? New year, new me. And I want to share with you that a new year isn't a new us, right? We can't change our past. We can't change where we started from. We can't change the path that we've been on. But we can change the present, right? We can make little changes in our lives that can actually impact the trajectory that we're on. One of the things that I get to do professionally is I do um, ministry program monitoring and evaluation. I'm an M&E professional. So if you could maybe get that graph up there for me. I'm going to give you a very, very basic example, okay? If based on my, my life experiences, based on the way my life is heading today, let's say I am this red line here. This is the trajectory that my life is on. Now, if I make a teeny tiny little change, right, that can bump that line. And it can change the trajectory of my life. Now, that might not be obvious today. It might not be obvious next month. But over the course of time, over the course of years, that bump in my trajectory can have a major impact in whether or not I hit my target. Does that make sense? So let me give you an example. If I say my New Year's resolution is every day I'm cutting out, I'm eating 100 less calories. So I know what I need to maintain my body weight. I'm going to eat 100 less. You aren't going to notice today. You aren't going to notice probably next month. But in five years, you're going to notice, right? In a year and a half, I will have lost, oh, five pounds or so. In five years, I could have lost 50 pounds, right? It takes just that little nudge, just that little change in my behavior can actually have significant impact over time. Now, I believe that this is also true in our spiritual journey, okay? A little nudge one way or the other, expanded over time, can have significant impact in our life trajectory and in the target we ultimately hit at the end. Does that make sense? Great. So in my personal, humble opinion, I think, you know, we've just gone through an epidemic here in our world, right? But I think there's an epidemic in the church. And I think that epidemic looks like comfortable Christians missing the mark for their lives. Comfortable Christians that are missing the point of Christianity and comfortable Christians that are void of the supernatural, right? And that's a problem. That's a problem. We all need to be concerned about that. It's a problem. And it's easy for us to think what we need is 
boom, a supernatural move of God, the Shekinah glory powering through the room, and we're all going to be knocked on our faces, and our lives are changed, and then things are going to be great. And there's truth to that. That would be really cool and life-changing, right? But I think the reality that we live in is that oftentimes it is the little choices that we make that bump the line either towards our purpose or away from our purpose. And oftentimes it's seemingly insignificant, right? It's the little things that don't really seem to matter. You know, last week, Pastor Josh was sharing about lies the devil tells us about sin, right? But he tells us lies about this too. Like, that doesn't matter. Oh, all that time on social media, that doesn't really matter. Not praying that much, that doesn't matter. You know, Americans, we don't pray very much. I think it was, it's in the seconds, right? Josh might know the statistic. I think it's like 90 seconds a day. <laughs> like, Americans spend in prayer. Like, that's pretty sad. And the lie is, that's not significant. It doesn't really matter. So what I want to talk to you about today is that some of these practices, these omissions, actually can have major impact. And what we can do in this new year is start off by incorporating fasting and prayer to help us get back onto that trajectory. Okay? Fasting is one of those things. I think the devil tells us lies about that all the time, right? Like, that's antiquated. We don't need to do that today. That's so Old Testament ritualistic, right? But the truth is that fasting is very, very powerful. Prayer and fasting is like a nuclear weapon in our Christian arsenal. It's very powerful. And especially when Christians do this together, corporately, it's an incredible that can usher in a whole new move of God. So I'm passionate about it, and I'm really sorry to be up here today talking about the Christian F word, fasting. I know it's uncomfortable, but I think it's really, really important. So my goal today is to whet your appetite for fasting. And this is intended to be an overview. I'm not doing a deep dive. I want to kind of talk about the why the how, give you an overview of what this looks like, and then we can do some deeper dives into prayer um, later on. Okay, so why fasting is important. When my kids were younger, you know, they play hockey. You guys know this. We talk about hockey up here a lot. When my kids were younger, um, they had a coach that would always ask them one question before a game. And you can just picture this, okay? Like, picture... I don't know, seven-year-olds, all geared up. They've got all this gear on. They've got the helmet on. They've got the um, mouth guard in. They can barely speak. You know, they're sitting there getting ready for their game. They're all excited. And the coach goes, are you hungry? And all these little guys are like, yeah, we're hungry. They can barely talk, right, with this mouth guard in. Are you hungry? I couldn't hear you. Are you hungry? Yeah, we're hungry. <laughs> and, you know, personally, I had a volleyball coach in high school uh, Tim Mueller, who is now in ministry in Florida, but he would always say the team with the most desire is the team that wins. So when, he's, when the coach is asking, are you hungry, what's he talking about? Are you hungry? Do you want to go have a snack before the game? Like, what is he talking about? 
right? And what he's talking about is that deep burning desire in the pit of your belly, right? That passion, that passion for the game, that passion to do your best, that passion. You know, do you know what I'm talking about? That's what he's asking. Are you hungry? So as we start this conversation, I want to ask you the same question. But about God, about your spiritual walk, about where you are as a Christian, are you hungry? Are you hungry? Or are you comfortable, complacent? I mean, that's, that's the real question. Because comfort and complacency are enemies for spiritual growth. Comfort and complacency, right? That's the enemy of our spiritual growth, right there. Do you remember what God had against the church of Ephesus? In Revelation 2 4, he says, Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love, that they had left that burning desire that they had for Christ in the first place. And it became routine. And I, I hate to say it, but I feel like a lot of the church in America, that's where we are. And we need to change that. We need to stoke that fire and get that hunger back. So I'd like to see next uh, how uncomfortable I can make you by talking about comfort. Okay? Um, I would argue that living a comfortable life is one of the highest American values in our society. We really value comfort. We do. From our climate-controlled houses to our fast food drive throughs to our medication, right? We can't even feel a headache for a little bit. We're popping a pill. We, we just, we get rid of anything that's uncomfortable. We are so much about living a comfortable life and immediate gratification that almost without exception, Americans choose the path of least resistance, the comfortable route. So I'd like to pull up this picture that I think illustrates this beautifully. Do you have my picture? There we go. Okay. If you can't see this clearly, we have a bunch of people, well, two people, heading into a fitness center, and they have two choices. They have the stairs or they have an escalator. These people are about to go work out, and they are choosing the escalator. That's like, what, 20 stairs maybe? Escalator. That's us. That's Americans. We are constantly choosing the escalator, the easy route. And 2020 gave us an opportunity to break that, right? We get in this comfort rut. This is what I do. This is what I do. I'm comfortable. I'm living my life. 2020 gave us an opportunity to break free from that. But a lot of us didn't take it. You know, I get to work with countries around the world professionally, and I've got to tell you, you guys, this didn't impact us the way it impacted other people. Most of us were just mildly inconvenienced, truly. There were people around the world, not 
who couldn't eat, who couldn't feed their families. I mean, if we're honest, I mean, it was too bad. It was a bummer. I was really upset that sports were canceled. But did it really impact our lives enough to give us a wake-up call out of that rut of comfort? A couple weeks ago, a friend of mine posted an article on Facebook. And it was a, a global news report about Christians that were being killed in Africa the week leading up to Christmas. They were being tortured and killed. And I clicked on it, and I read it, and I was, like, shaking. I was so upset. This, like, righteous indignation. How can this be? And then I looked, and it had one comment and a handful of reactions. Because that's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for us to think about. We don't want to live there. We don't want to know about it. We scroll past. We sip our lattes. And we scroll past things that make us uncomfortable. And you guys, that's wrong. It's wrong. Matthew 5.13 says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Revelation 3.15-16 says, I know your works that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm, are neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. We got to get hot, you guys. We got to stoke that fire. And I propose to you that fasting is one way to do that. To reconnect us with our first love. Because Christianity isn't actually meant to be comfortable. Did you know that? We're not supposed to sign up, get our Christian card, and then life is smooth sailing. Do you know that wasn't the plan? That's not the way it works. And in America, I think that's how we feel sometimes. Like, this isn't supposed to happen. I'm a Christian. No, Christianity is difficult. It's difficult. In fact, that's why we have the Holy Spirit, right? One of his names is the Comforter because we're supposed to need it. This is a battle, you guys. This is a war. This isn't a cakewalk. Acts 20, 22 to 23 says, And now, compelled by the Spirit, not by Satan, by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. What? He's, the Holy Spirit didn't say, don't go, or you might face prison and hardships. He said, Go. Here, let's hold hands. I'm here to comfort you on this difficult journey. Do you remember in Matthew 25, the parable of the talents? Where there were three slaves that were given talents. Two of them made them grow. One hid it. I want to know, like, who are we in this parable? Right? Who are we? Are we stewarding what God has given us, or are we just comfortably sailing through our life? Saying, our, saying grace, <laughs> praying before bed? Are we sailing? Are we comfortable? Or are we growing what God has given us? Because honestly, do you want to know what keeps me up at night? I, this is what I think about. 
I think about meeting Paul in heaven and having him be like, you guys had so much money. Look at you guys in America, right? Financial resources. You had the internet. You could reach anybody in the world. And how many lives did you change? I reach more people on a donkey than you guys did with all of these resources. And that's concerning to me. That bothers me. We, as the church, will be held accountable for that. Don't you think? Like, we have a job. But it's hard. It's hard. I know when we're so comfortable, it is hard. It is so difficult. But why do you think the Bible says that a rich man getting into heaven is harder than fitting a camel through the eye of a needle? Why does he say that? Is it the money? Is it the wealth? Is it the riches? It's not the money. Money isn't the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. The fact, it's the fact that humans, when we get comfortable, we get complacent. When we get comfortable, we stop remembering that we need God, that he's the one who provided for us in the first place. God, he doesn't want your money. He wants you to tithe to break that hold, to break that dynamic. Because Matthew 6, 21 says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So is the solution to be completely broken uncomfortable? Is that what I'm proposing? Is that what God's proposing? Is that the solution to this dilemma? No. No, the solution is for us to be good stewards of what we have, what we've been given to make it grow, to take those talents and make it grow, to reach more people, and to be intentional about our spiritual growth, intentional about not deviating from the trajectory that is the goal for our lives, to keep knocking ourselves back. It doesn't mean you never have a setback. It means you readjust. All right, I'm off. I got to readjust. And just like tithing breaks the hold of money, fasting, that breaks the hold of comfort. It knocks us back into relationship with God as our source. It reorients us to our first love for Jesus as we humble ourselves before him and we seek his face. So as we are thinking about spiritual growth, fasting, breaking the curse of comfort, our obligation to steward things that God has given us and our trajectory towards our purpose, I have another difficult question for you. And I'm trying to make you a little uncomfortable, right? Because I'm calling out these things that we get so used to seeing that we think it's normal. And you guys, it's not normal. God has to be our standard. The Bible has to be our standard. So my question is, are you satisfied with the level of the miraculous that you are seeing in your life? Are you satisfied? Mark 16, 17 to 18 says, These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. John 14, 12 to 13 says, Truly I say to you, 
He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. When you read verses like this and you don't see these works manifesting in your life, I urge you not to change your theology, not to deviate from Scripture, because that is the true line. Don't deviate from it. I think our human nature is to rationalize it. Well, we don't see that. And that's what I think a lot of denominations came out of that, right? Rationalizing the fact that this isn't being manifested in their own lives. We try to, you know, figure it out and make it so it's not a big deal. But the truth is, if we aren't seeing what the Bible says we should be seeing, we need to be seeking God about that, right? We need to be humbling ourselves, praying, God, what do I need to do? How do I get back to the line, the trajectory that leads me to my purpose? to your calling for my life. Do you ever hear about like a major evangelistic movement or healing movement maybe in Pakistan and your people are getting healed left and right and legs are growing out and blind are seeing and ears are open and you're like, what is going on? Why doesn't that happen in the middle of Holland? What's going on? And then we start to try to figure out like, well, you know, it's got to be over there. Maybe they just don't understand. Well, they don't, I'm sure they don't have medical professionals on hand to really verify these things, right? We start to rationalize it. But I think that what we need to look at is actually John 15, 5. That says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. If we aren't attached to the vine, we're powerless, right? Have you ever played this game? Now, this, this is a game I've played in different, like, team-building activities at work. I've seen it done at school, where one person holds, it's like a, an energy stick, and then a group of people hold hands in a line, and the person at the end then has, like, a voltage meter, and it lights up, or they'll go around shocking things. <laughs> because the current goes from that voltage meter through the hands and then... You can shock people. Have you seen this before? <laughs> it's pretty fun. Now, what if that person at the end of the line breaks their hand? Do they still have the power to shock people? No, they don't, because they are broken away from the source of power. And I think oftentimes that happens to us, but prayer and fasting is one of the best ways to fast track our connection back to the source to fast-track our hearts back to Jesus. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. If our experience doesn't line up to the word of God, we have to humble ourselves. We have to seek his face and figure out why. Now, in addition to needing to stoke that fire, to get hungry, right, I think there is another thing playing out in our society that I really want to talk to you about because I think this is vital. I think this is really vital. Now, I, I read a quote from Lou Engel, who's the author of The Jesus Fast, if you're looking for a good book on fasting, Jesus Fast. 
Um, superficial distractions are the sum total of our purpose, and our days are spent overstimulated to the point of numbness. Entertainment-addicted age has produced bored and boring people. Yikes. What's he talking about? Our devices? Yeah? Now, for a long time, I've been really bothered by something. Like, this has really kept me up at night and bothered me. Um, one of my earliest memories as a child is hearing the audible voice of God. I think I was about four. And having a connection with God has been a constant thing in my life. But I've found lately that more and more of the time, less and less of that is happening for the general population. And it's bothered me. Like, where have the spiritual experiences gone for people? Where have they gone? Like, it's really bothered me. Like, does that mean they don't need that connection? Is Jesus coming, like, tomorrow? Like, what's going on? Why aren't people experiencing that? Because it's so necessary to experience the love of God and the connection with God in order to even have desire to grow in your spiritual walk. It's a necessary component. So um, professionally, you know, I've been researching for the last several months the spiritual development of kids, of adolescents. Like what is this, what causes someone to grow in discipleship as a Christian? And I came across something that it was the piece of the puzzle that I was missing. And I want to make sure that, that I share this with you. Now, to dumb this down, any not neuroscientists in the room? No? All right. Oh, that's good. All right. <laughs> so I'm going to make this really, really simple, right? You know we have different parts of the brain. We have, you know, the prefrontal cortex that we're doing a lot of our thinking in, right? And the pathways in our brain around cognition, those are myelinated. Those are for fast pathways, fast signals. And the thing that's interesting about that part of the brain is that it can be trained to move faster. So the faster inputs you're getting, the more your brain is trained in that fast, 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 fast. Those signals are coming faster. And I want you to think about, you know, a kid on a gaming system, how quick those inputs are coming. You don't find that anywhere in the natural world, right? Those signals are coming so fast at their brain, and it's training it faster, 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 faster. Now, where we as humans process spirituality, where we process relationship with God, those spiritual experiences, that happens in the limbic system, which is slow. It's not myelinated. It's slow. So the interesting thing about this is what research has found is that the more, the faster those myelinated cog cognitive pathways are, the harder it is to tap into the limbic system slow pathways. So as we are overstimulating our brains, our children, they're growing up this way, right? Their brains are being developed so, so fast. 
we are actually training our brains away from spiritual experiences. Pastor Josh and I have come here before and talked about AM, FM radio stations, right? We've talked about that, like how to flip your dial to hear from God. We've got the world is FM, God is AM. You know, FM's pretty easy to get to, right? There's lots of stations. AM's, you get there, you got to turn the dial a little ways. Um, So basically what this is saying is the more we're stimulated, the harder it will ever be to tune into the AM station because our brains are so trained the opposite way. And I think that this is critical. This is a critical thing, right? This is critical. It's our children, the future of the church. And we do it too, right? Our kids have devices. I have devices. But I think it's something we need to think about critically. And as we're talking about fasting, think about maybe it's not just food that we need to fast from. Because if we go back to the graph, how much of a nudge, one way or the other, will result in major change down the road? How much? You know, like, let's say 50% of that research is true. Let's say 10%. What is the ultimate outcome that we are training our children and our brains to achieve? And can we nudge ourselves back into an appropriate trajectory through fasting from that? We've got to detox those brains, right? Because neuroplasticity, our brain can change. It's possible. But we need to be intentional about that so that we don't miss our mark. You know, I think in general, the the church is a bride that's kind of taken her groom for granted, and that's Jesus, right? And it's time for us to re-engage intentionally in this relationship, in this marriage, and get back on track. So I'd like to move on to talk about why fasting. Why, why is this the choice to get us back on track? Pastor Frank Hall says, without prayer and fasting, every Christian will more or less miss the mark and fail in their purpose. I think that's a pretty powerful statement for a practice that we have largely disregarded as a church body. Matthew 9, 14 to 15 says, Then the disciples of John came to him asking, Why do we and the Pharisees fast? Now, I wish I had a whole sermon to talk about John the Baptist. And maybe we will. I don't know. Because that really does set the stage for this practice of fasting and how that can usher in spiritual movements. Because John really did, through his fasting and prayer, usher in Jesus. Right? So the disciples of John, who are really familiar with prayer and fasting, are asking... Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but the disciples of Jesus aren't fasting? What's up with that? And Jesus said to them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is still with them, can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Because fasting is very much about presence. 
You know, when Jesus was present, they didn't need to fast. But now today, he's not here, and we've got to fast. We need to get that presence back to reconnect with Jesus. Fasting is one way of humbling ourselves before God, denying our human nature to choose comfort and convenience, to reorient ourselves to the priorities of the kingdom of God, our first love, and to seek first the kingdom of heaven. Both biblically and historically, fasting has ushered in great moves of God and spiritual breakthrough. I'd like to take a moment to look at Daniel. As we are doing a Daniel fast, it seems appropriate to talk a little bit about Daniel. So, if you've never read the chapter, the book of Daniel, I'd like you to read the book of Daniel. It's very interesting. There's actually a lot in there. Now, Daniel was very accustomed to, you know, being asked to interpret dreams. Um, He would receive different visions. He was accustomed to seeking God to understanding things. Now, if you read through this book, you'll find it, at least I do, like, there's all these people who can't interpret the king's dream, and then here comes Daniel. Imagine how scary that would be. He's, the king's going to kill all these people. They couldn't get it right. They're going to die. And here comes Daniel, seeking God. God, could you please tell me I don't want to die? Okay? I'm just picturing Daniel. He's had a lot of ex- high-pressure experience in seeking God. So in chapter 9, Daniel is seeking God about a prophecy read in the books on behalf of Israel. And the angel Gabriel comes to him during prayer, told him to give heed to the 70-week prophecy, and to seek to understand. So in chapter 10, Daniel starts the famous 21-day fast, which is what we're talking about here today and about to enter into, while praying to God to understand. And he's really, during this time, he's interceding for Israel. He's praying on their behalf forgiveness. And in Daniel 10, 2 to 3, it says, in those days I, Daniel, had been mourning for three entire weeks. I did not eat any tasty food, nor did meat or wine enter my mouth, nor did I use any ointment at all until the entire three weeks was completed. So Daniel fasted from food, wine, meat, and randomly ointment. So first I want to think about why ointment. Okay, he's in the desert. That's something that's used to soothe the skin in that climate. And I think he fasted from ointment because it wasn't just about the food. It was about the comfort. Right? So he fasted from ointment. It's about denying the flesh as an act of humbling himself before God. Daniel 10, 12 to 14 says, then he said to me, do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand this and humble yourself before God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now, I have come to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision pertains to days yet future. I'd like to break this down a little bit because I think this gives us some insight into God's heart towards fasting. So it says here, from the first day, from the first day, I want to point out 
that God didn't wait to see how Daniel would perform. He didn't wait to see, did he follow this to the T? Did he sneak in? Well, that soup, that might have had some bacon bits in it. Disqualified. God decided the first day. Then he said, the first day you set your heart to understand. I believe this is a heart issue. This isn't about technicalities. This isn't about rituals. This isn't about exactly what you include or exclude. I mean, you can search on the internet and you can find this has to be in, that has to be out, and real specific guidelines. But I think this truly is a heart issue. From the first day that you set your heart, God decided. Then the verse says, he set his heart on humbling himself before God. How did Daniel humble himself? Through prayer and fasting. Right? So if you, if us, the church, will humble, your, humble yourselves, right? The Bible tells us then God will hear us, heal the land. I love it. Humble, humbling looks like prayer and fasting a lot of the time. I also want to point out in this verse that it says, I have come in response to your words. He didn't come in response to his flawless fasting. He came in response to his words. Our words have tremendous power in heaven. Our words are very, very powerful. Our words here set forth Angels were dispatched because of Daniel's words. And I think that's important to understand that what we speak, what we pray, what we declare has so much power. And the second part of this passage is really showing us that Daniel was praying and fasting, but there was a spiritual battle happening behind the scenes. He didn't know anything about it. Right? And this is a whole nother wish I had time to talk about this. The power, the prince of Persia, you know, we're talking about principalities, right? He's doing spiritual warfare. So this is really, this is not just an instruction guide on fasting. It's an instruction guide on spiritual warfare and intercession. It's powerful. And this is just one example. This is a superficial look at one example. Do you remember the story in Matthew 17 when the disciples couldn't drive the demon out of the boy? Do you guys remember this? And in verse 17, Jesus said, You unbelieving and perverse generation, how long will I be with you? And so the boy is brought to Jesus. And in verse 21, Jesus explains to the disciples, But this kind does not go out by prayer and fasting. Now, have you ever noticed that Jesus didn't stop to pray and fast? He didn't say, you know, let me do my Daniel fast, then bring him to me. That Jesus was able to just step in, cast out the demon, and then say casually, this kind does not go out by prayer and fasting. I think there's two lessons here. One is that Jesus didn't need to because that was his lifestyle. He already did the fast. He was in the wilderness for 40 days fasting. He's already in constant communion with God. He didn't have to stop and power up 
for this battle. But I think there's also a lesson here that we commonly overlook. And I think that this is actually about unbelief. So if you look at this passage in verse 17, it says, you unbelieving and perverse generation, how long will I be with you? Now, if you look at the root word for perverse, we think about something super gross, right? But perverse actually means deviating your line from truth. Here's truth, you're a little off, perverse. So they're unbelieving and deviated. The unbelieving and perverse generation, how long will I be with you? And if you realize in verse 21, Jesus doesn't say this kind of demon only goes out by prayer and fasting. He says this kind. And I think unbelief has been an issue since the Garden of Eden. That's what caused it, right? Unbelief is a big problem for us. So unbelief doesn't go out except by prayer and fasting. That perversion, that was a deviation from the truth, from the true line. He's like, I don't have much longer to teach you guys. You got to have faith. You got to get back to the true line. Prayer and fasting is the strategy to conquer unbelief and build our faith, to break away from routine comfort, to usher in breakthrough and the miraculous, to fuel our hunger for Jesus and to reconnect with our first love. It is our strategy to readjust to our target. So over the next 21 days, many of us, and hopefully all of us, will be participating to some degree. Some of us, it will be a full Daniel fast, where we're eliminating meat, sweet, wine. Some people eliminate caffeine and stimulants. But I think I'd like you to prayerfully consider what that should look like for you. Because it isn't about the technicalities, it's about the heart. And to be quite honest, right now, fasting, that's kind of a fad, isn't it? Can you believe millennials made skipping food cool? Can you believe it? It's kind of, (laughs) it's a fad. But if your heart isn't in the right place, that doesn't count. That's not what God's looking for. It's not the technicalities, it's the heart. And we also live in an age where we have so many meat substitutes, really, I mean, it's not that bad. But it's about the heart. It's about breaking free from the comfort intentionally readjusting our trajectory. Now, I do want to put in just a couple words of caution. So if you are diabetic or have other health issues, this might not be for you, and that's okay. That's okay. Consult your doctor. Figure out what is important to you, because remember, it's not about the technical nature. It's not the ritual. It's the heart. So figure out what works for you. If you're under the age of 18, I'm going to say fasting food really isn't recommended for extended periods. Maybe a meal here or there, but it's not recommended. But let me tell you, fasting from your device, that could make a game-changing trajectory alteration if you're a teenager. Get back to that mark. If you have a history of anorexia, bulimia, body dysmorphia, anything of that nature, guys, Don't fast food. Don't do it. Pick something else and realize it's about the heart. But prayerfully consider what that will look like. And I'd like to close by just saying, 
This is a powerful moment. Individually, for our families, and for this church. Prayer and fasting corporately can shift. I mean, we just saw in Daniel, right? Those words can shift things in the heavens. It can call forth our purpose. If we all join in this together, the power of our church, seeking God's face, humbling ourselves before him, can have amazing outcomes for us individually and us together as a body of Christ. And I look forward to that. I look forward to seeing the fruit of this 21-day fast for years to come, for years to come. So as we unleash that nuclear bomb of our offense and readjust to our trajectory, God, just humble ourselves before you, Lord, and ask that you would move mightily in this church, in our lives, and in this congregation. Thank you so much. How many of you agree that was a word from the Holy Spirit? And we're talking about uh, the Daniel fast. I want to restate what she said, and that is this is a heart issue. Um, we have the opportunity. The Bible talks a lot about um, the, the power there is in unity. And so we are, we are doing this together. We're encouraging all of you. We're not worried. I'm not a, whether you want to fast meat or sweet or caffeine or, or something more complicated, you want to throw gluten in there, you're not going to have, we, I, we're not concerned about exactly what it is you choose to do. But we would love as a family to all be doing something and be in unison together each day praying together, making an impact spiritually. And as she said, we're going to be uh, sacrificing that idol of comfort in our lives and, and doing something different um, with, with our life. I want to encourage you to do that. I also want to take a moment and just talk about before fasting, before any of that, First step is a relationship with God, recognizing that your sins are forgiven. If you've already taken that first step, I want you to raise your hand. You know your sins are forgiven. You know you're right with God. Praise God for that. If you're watching online with us and that, that's you, we're so happy. But if you are here or there and you don't know for sure that your sins are forgiven, you don't know for sure that you're right with God, the Bible tells us that we should know we have salvation. How do we know that? The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, and 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus died on the cross and believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. You say, saved from what? Saved from the sin that separates you from God. Forgiven and on your way to heaven. If everyone would just close your eyes for a moment, don't want anyone to feel embarrassment, if you're here and you recognize that you need to take that step, you need to ask God for forgiveness, I want to invite you to raise your hand, and we will do that here this morning. If you're watching online and that's you, 
we're going to take a moment and we're going to do exactly what the Bible said. We're going to confess with our mouth and believe with our heart. If you'll join with me, the Bible promises that your sins will be forgiven. Let's pray this together. Dear God, I believe that you sent Jesus who lived a perfect life but died on the cross for my sin. I recognize that you raised him from the dead. I accept the forgiveness you offer me and I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.